summer we have uh, been working our way through the book of, of Ephesians and we're kind of getting down uh, to the end here. Uh, this Sunday uh, and then next Sunday it'll be done. Next Sunday will be the armor of God which the, the, the graphics and all of those are kind of about uh, that piece of it. Uh, but did I disconnect this here somehow? Mm. No. It just lost it I think. All right, so we may have to do something else for, um, for those of you that are watching online, then we may need to back up and do something. With, oh, there, it's kind of coming around. We'll see if it comes back up. Anyway, we have been uh, working on Ephesians uh, all, all uh, summer long, and so just to let you know, this week and the next week is the armor of God. So we do have a, uh, a memory verse we've been working on. Um, so let's, uh, let's say this together. Uh, it's got three parts, okay? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So three parts. One of the ways you memorize is you understand, classify. Number one, be kind. Number two, be tenderhearted. Number three, forgive. And we do that because Christ has forgiven you. Let's say it one more time. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So last week we talked about uh, the Christian, the relationship between a husband and wife uh, as, a, as followers of Jesus, what a Christian kind of marriage looks like. Um, and we're going to continue that now into chapter 6, uh, verses uh, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 are all about the Christian family. And remember, he is speaking to Gentiles. Uh, so it would be a little different for Jews, but he's pe speaking to uh, people in the Roman uh, Greek world uh, about marriage. And in the Roman and Greek world, men were the top of everything, and women and children and slaves served them, okay? Wives and children were legally property uh, to, to the man in that situation. And, and so um, last week, Paul turned marriage upside down. It, it used to be that in the Greco-Roman world that that men were the top and the wives, they had to serve. In fact, there was all kinds of rules. One of them in the Jewish community was, if you burned his dinner, he could divorce you, right? I mean, think about that, ladies. The early years, there's some meals that, you know, I never know. So, um, so it was just a, a very different kind of mindset uh, uh, about the world. Uh, and so he turned that upside down and said, not only is she not your servant, you are to love her, and you are to love her like Christ loved the church which is an extraordinarily high standard because Christ literally gave up his life uh, for the church, for the body uh, of Christ. And so this morning as we get into uh, verse 6, he's going to begin to now talk about children uh, and slaves, the other two parts of the family. So in one sense, 5 and 6 are all one uh, big, big thought. So just a couple of ideas to kind of focus this before. The foundation of Christian family is God's self-sacrificing love. 
You understand that? The foundation, everything is built on this. Just like God is love is, is what everything that God does flows out of love. When we talk about the Christian family, the foundation is of, of the family is God's self-sacrificing. Sometimes we say agape, uh, love, God's love. And so the whole foundation and the whole purpose for this uh, is, is that we might experience the love of God uh, and, and learn and grow. Born into it, raised in it, and, and live it out in the world uh, around us. And so it's, also, it's all about mutual submission. Say, mutual submission. Yeah, remember last week we talked about everybody likes to start with verse 20 in, in, in 5 and say, you know, wives submit to your husbands. They never tend to start at the beginning of the paragraph, which is verse 21, which says, submit to one another, which is the thesis sentence for all of the rest of it and, and what we're going to continue on in today. So, uh, and just another kind of piece of advice, general advice here is the greatest gift you can give your children is to love your spouse with God's love. I remember my dad saying this. Uh, this is just such an important sort of thing. When you, when you get the love right and you get the marriage right, then it's much easier, although raising kids is not easier, but it is much easier to kind of understand where you're supposed to go and what it's supposed to, um, to, supposed to look like. And so, uh, and, we, and this, this principle goes all the way back to Genesis, right, where, where man and woman were created equal in, in that process, uh, created as helper through all of that. So, um, so let's uh, jump in this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 9, if you have your Bibles uh, or your app or your phone or wherever uh, you do that, and we'll put it up here on the screen uh, as well. Um, and so just a couple of things I need to, you to understand the history. One of the things we talk about is in order to understand Scripture, you have to understand the context of the Scripture. Because if you don't understand the context, it'll distort things. So uh, in the ancient world, uh, almost every family was a multi-generational family, Right? There would be, we tend to think, when we use the word family, we tend to think of mom and dad and the kids. But if you were to talk to someone in the first century and say family, they would think not only of mom and dad and the kids, but grandma and grandpa would live with them, and maybe even great-grandma and great-grandpa. And by the way, whoever was the oldest male, he was the one that was the head of the family. So you could be a fully grown man with a career, sometimes even old, and still not be the head of your family. Because if your dad continued to live, guys, then he would be the head of the family. And it was just assumed that, that families would live together multi-generationally. You might even have cousins in there. And even if they lived uh, apart from you, they managed to get in their place of their own, they would still be considered under the headship of, of the father of the family, the oldest one uh, in, in the family, which, which I thought was a, a real stinker when I was young. But now that I'm the oldest one, it sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, I think maybe that'll work, <laughs> all that. Um, so, um, it, so again, I just want you to understand that they're thinking about this. And honestly, around the world today, multi-generational families are, are pretty common. It's kind of in the Western world that we all have mom and dad and the kids, and then you get to the empty nest, right? In, in the ancient world, the empty nest would never really exist for you because there'd be the family older, and then you'd have your kids, and then they would have their kids, and they were living with you and, and, and all of that. So the empty nest is kind of a, a modern uh, for, uh, phenomena. Uh, together for us. And so, uh, and then in addition to the children, actually any servants, if you're a wealthy enough home, would be considered a part of the family as well. So let's jump in. Paul uh, has talked to, to men and women, uh, husbands and wives, and so now he turns his attention uh, to the children. Verse 1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I remember growing up getting this uh, quoted to me regularly. 
I'm not sure why, but I got it quoted to me more than most of the kids in the church for some reason. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then I went to seminary and learned the original language. And actually, this is not referring to small children. This is referring to adult children. So when we think of children, we think of little ones, right? But if you you use a word like son, that might be a small child, but it might also be an adult child. And the word in Greek is like that. It actually might be a small child, but it actually, in this case, probably is uh, an older child. And, and so the idea here uh, is that, that, um, that they are to, uh, whoops, lost my place, uh, to obey the parents as in uh, uh, the grandpa's the head of the house. So he kind of sets uh, the rules. But then, listen, he goes on to another part. He says, in the Lord, which is the modifier of this. So this is really wise. I love this in Scripture, which means that it isn't just blind obedience, It is the idea that you obey your children in the in the you obey your parents in the context of the way the Lord would have you to do that, and I think we see this today when if I were to say to you the phrase the the, uh, parent becomes a child and the child becomes the parent, how many of you kind of recognize that idea, right? So this happened in my life. I remember the day clearly after my father had had a stroke, where I kind of looked at what was going on and I had to say to him, Dad, I love you, I'm for you but you have to live either close to my sister or close to me because he, he just couldn't handle life anymore. I, I remember the day as, as, as my mom got older after dad died that I began to take over piece, parts and pieces of, of her life. I remember the day when I had to take over the money because she just couldn't do that anymore. And over and over and over. And, and she was like, she wanted to do it. She wanted, in fact, at one point, my mom, after she had, she had Alzheimer's was pretty bad, she couldn't hardly find her way around. But she was absolutely determined that she was going to buy a car and go on a trip across the country. And I'm like, uh, you can't hardly make it from your room to the kitchen and back without getting lost. You know? And, and so, so it wasn't blind obedience to her. It was in the Lord uh, that, that we talked about that. And so this is the way I kind of think about that a bit. The rule of love. Do what is in the other person's best interest. Right? Sometimes that means I do exactly what they say. But sometimes that means I don't do what they say. I do what's in their best interest. Does that make sense? That's, that's what Paul's kind of talking about in, in that context, okay? Uh, and so it becomes a little clearer in verse 2. Uh, he says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that you may, it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life in the earth. Uh, and the word honor, um, I've heard families uh, where the word honor was so strong in their understanding that you could never disagree with or never say a negative word about your parents. And it almost becomes this kind of, the parents are like, and we're all supposed to bow down in in all of that. Um, But that's actually not what the word means. It's not the idea of blind obedience. It actually carries the idea of care for, right? So in in the ancient world, uh, again, uh, there was no safety net. There was no social security. There was nothing to step in. They didn't have things like nursing homes, long care facility, term care facilities, uh, you know, assisted living, all of that just simply didn't exist. You tended to live with your children. Uh, And this was a reminder that you were actually to take care of them in your old age, which is what the commandment, honor your mother and father, that's actually directed to adult children, and it means to do it. And you even see Jesus pick this this up. You'll remember the story where Jesus is having a confrontation with some of the religious leaders, and he says to them, you break this commandment because there's a deal where you can give a bunch of money to to the temple, and then you no longer have the obligation to care for your parents. 
And Jesus says, that's evil. You don't do that. That's evil. You don't do that. Yes, right. We are charged with caring for our parents. I, I cared for my parents because of my sister's health and stuff. She just couldn't, so it kind of all fell on me. My dad all the way through, and then, and then my mom all the way through. And I will tell you what I tell other people about this. It was an honorable burden, right? I'm honored to do it. My mom and dad cared for me. I got raised in a really great home where they loved me. My dad hugged me. You know, I was the weirdo in school. I didn't have issues because of my parents, you know? Uh, and so uh, I, it was an honor, but it was a ton of work at the end to care for, care for all and hard decisions and difficult sorts of, sorts of things. So that's what th- this is kind of talking about. Okay, so honor your father and mother with the first commandment with promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a, a long kind of, of, of life, which makes perfect sense because if you set the example and care for your parents when they're old, maybe your children will care for you when you're old. So this is one of those places where in some ways it's almost literally true. So he's, he's instructing us about the importance uh, of this intergenerational uh, connection uh, with, with one another, intergenerational families. So uh, then um, he's been uh, talking about the children. So now he turns to the fathers, right? Again, the fathers are the head of the home. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and exasperate is kind of the idea of provoke them to anger. So, okay. So this is super countercultural. This is like, this is, the fathers around there, their heads are exploding at this point. This guy, no way. It looks like you're kind of undermining uh, their authority. But in the Roman world, remember we're right into Ephesus, so this is Romans and Greeks. In the Roman world, get this, I, I picked this up. Um, a father could expose a newborn until they die. So if you got a girl and you wanted a boy and you couldn't have more than one more child financially, you could literally leave a daughter out in the, out in the, the woods somewhere and she would die of exposure or an animal would get to her. That was, that was legal. That was, people did it all the time. You could sell a child into slavery. You could force them to work under any conditions. You could even kill them with impunity, right? So... Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Not only can you not do any of that, you can't even tick them off, which I'll admit to you, I didn't always get that part right. There were a few times my kids were mad at me, two or three or 10 or 100, um, where they were exasperated, but I tried not to do that. So, so this is the idea here. So, um, so kind of the, uh, this do not exasperate, he's literally asking the fathers to give up, to surrender to Christ the authority over their children. It's a big thing. It's a say, your old way of doing it is not going to work. Christ has a different way of doing it. Uh, And so he also, he doesn't just stop them though. He introduces now the positive. The negative is you can't do that. So now he introduces the part, the the, uh, important part. Instead, bring them up, raise them up, okay? Not just let them run around like dogs. Uh, And in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, And so uh, the word training there uh, carries the idea uh, of discipline, of focus. Uh, It's the opposite of punishment. Negative Punishment is the negative. This one is take responsibility for instruction, right? So teach them. Don't just tell them everything they do wrong. Encourage them, teach them. In fact, the next word, instruction, uh, carries the idea of exhortation, of rooting for them, of saying, good job, of, hey, help, let me help you do that kind of a thing. And so this is a radical change. 
from, you know, the best way to raise a child is to beat the tar out of them to all of a sudden you need to train and instruct them and help them grow and learn and become what God would have them to be. In fact, the, the word uh, there for bring them up is the same root word that we had last week with uh, a husband's wife to his, his uh, husband's relationship to his wife where it carried the idea of feeding or nurturing her. Helping them to become all that God would have them to become. So guys, when he talks about this, he says, husbands, you are to help your wives become all that God would have them to be. You're to feed them, nurture them, provide for them. Uh, dads, you are to help your children become all that God would have them to be. And you can see the guys going, you mean it's not about me anymore? Ding, 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 ding. It's not about you anymore. When you have a family, there's a much bigger thing uh, that God would have. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, and then... Uh, in the ancient world, children were often treated like slaves with, and harsh discipline was common. So we kind of talked about this a little bit. But basically, Paul is rejecting this idea that it's all about the negative discipline. In God's kingdom, children are valued. Okay, we'll let that one go. This is a, a core principle. This is a core switch. And again, in our world... It doesn't seem like a big deal because most of this has already infected our culture and we understand a lot of that. But in the ancient world, yeah, that, that was a big deal. There would be a whole, you'd get a fight if they put this up there. That the, the children are of value? No way. But Jesus demonstrated it. You remember when Jesus uh, pushed the disciples away and brought the children to him so he could bless? We think, oh, isn't that nice? But in the ancient world, they were going, what in the world is wrong with that guy? He's spending valuable time with children instead of with, with adults. And, and this is where there's a shift in how we live in the kingdom, that, that children are of great value. In fact, not only did Jesus value them by what he did with them, he threatened anybody that harmed them in any kind of way. And I mean like big time. You could probably call the cops on him today for that because he said, listen, if you harm one of these children, we're going to tie a, a millstone, which was a giant stone to use to, to crush grain, around your neck and throw you in the ocean which in the ancient world was like the worst way you could die was like drowning. There was all kinds of beliefs around that kind of, that kind of thing. And so uh, Paul expected fathers to be gentle educators of their children in contrast to the culture of that day. Now it's important that you uh, remember these kind of things. I'm going to make a point later on. Um, raising kids is less about conformity and more about understanding. This is the shift. Discipline is about conformity. Stop doing that. Now, that's not a wrong thing to do. I believe in disciplining children. That's a part of the learning and growing process. But we discipline in order to help them learn. Amen? Yeah. Right? You discipline your child. We tell them, don't play in the street. You're protecting them. I do that because I love you. When I, you make them do their schoolwork, you know that's successful. So I, I do that because I, I want you to learn and, and grow. But for him, he's making this huge shift to making it all about understanding. And so the way I think about this today um, is, is it's, it's about helping them learn how to make good decisions, right? Helping them to learn, not just that, so if you just tell them, no, 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 they may not do it, but they don't understand why they don't do it. They, well, I don't do it because dad'll spank me if I don't, if I do it, right? Instead, talking to them, and that's a harder way to do it. We spent a lot of time, we were very committed to the idea of talking and explaining ourselves to our children. There is a time and a place where you say, because I told you so. Usually after it's clear that they're just looking to defy you. But 99% but of the time, it's about helping them to learn how to make that decision as adults. And that is exactly what Scripture talks uh, about this. It's all about teaching them to gain 
wisdom in all that they do, which if you look at Proverbs and children, same sort of thing. So the love of God is first and most fully formed in the family. This is kind of where I'm living in these days with our church. It's why children's ministry is so important. It's why the next generation, we will tell the next generation. It's right up on our wall. Do you see it? Well, we painted over it, but we're going to put it back up there, okay? We will tell the next generation because the love of God is first. It's so important. The first place that children should encounter the love of God, self-sacrificing love, is in the home. And then it is most fully formed, most fully brought to maturity, most fully made alive in the family. So by the time they graduate the family, they've kind of got it. They've got the love of God. And if they've got the love of God, they saw it in the relationship between their parents. They saw it in the relationship uh, with their parents to them. And now they're ready to go out there and experience and live it out uh, in, in the world today. So let's read this together. The love of God is first and most fully formed in the family. Let's read it one more time. The love of God is first and most fully formed in the family. You're gonna so now having talked to children, the relationship between fathers and children, he turns his attention towards slaves. Slaves, be obedient. Now, the first thing you need to know that slaves were a part of the family. In fact, children were kind of treated like slaves till they came to maturity. And when he talks about slaves, it's not really like slaves in America. Slaves in America were what's called chattel slavery, which means they were just kind of property and that kind of thing. Actually, these tended to be bond servants, people uh, who, who needed a job, and you could, the best job you could get would be to bond yourself to someone else for life. Uh, and, and they had rights and all of those sorts of things, but they were, they were slaves, they were servants, they didn't have much uh, choice uh, about it. Uh, and, and before we get too far down here, um, one of the things that sometimes people think about is that when they read this, uh, is they read, they say, well, Paul was in favor of slavery. No, he wasn't. So slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. The word in Greek is sarx. Uh, and, and when the word is you, when sarx is used, it's referring to the, to the dark side, if you will, to the evil. Remember all the bad things he was talking about earlier that come out of our flesh right? There's another word for body called soma, which he doesn't use in this case. So what he is saying to them is, be obedient to those who are your masters, but this is not of the Spirit of God, this is of the flesh. It's a recognition that slavery is not what God intended. Amen? God, we, don't, we can't own other people that belong to Jesus. You can't own things created in the image of God. With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart uh, with, with Christ. So it's a concession to the culture. Paul can't change, change the slave situation, but he's telling them how to exist uh, with, within it. And he's telling them, obey as you would obey Christ. So if your master is driving you crazy, say, okay, I'm doing this not because of my master. I'm doing this because of Jesus Christ. I will follow him. Amen? And that's a good one if you're in a job that you hate, right? <clears throat> Not that I've ever been in one of those, but um, to, to, to say, you know what? My boss is a jerk, but I'm going to do this because I am following Christ. Amen? Amen. I will live in his way of living in, in, in the world. So uh, then he goes on. At the end of this, you can see all the slave owners going, yeah, that's right. All right, you got to obey us, you know? 
Well, then Paul turns things upside down. Obey them not only to win their favor when, when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. That's the slaves of Christ piece. So here's the next one. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not people, and, not because, you, and because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever uh, good they do, whether they are slave or free. Okay, so here's the deal. You're in the cruddy position of being a slave, Paul is saying to them, God's paying attention, and God will reward you. Your master may not reward you, but God will reward you uh, in this. And now here's where he turns his attention to the slave owners. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And what this refers to, the way it works in Greek, is the idea of Christ. So it's treat your slaves in the same way that Christ has treated you. Do not threaten them. How do you control slaves? You threaten them. You threaten to beat them. You threaten to do any of those kinds of things, okay? Since you know that he who is both their master and yours, you are brothers and sisters in Christ, you stand at the ground is level at the bottom of the cross, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. With this thing right here, Paul turns everything upside down. He stripped the masters of their story, of their, of their power in all of this. This passage demolishes the underpinnings of slavery. Because he says to those who are Christians, now this won't happen in the culture, culture, you can no longer threaten your slaves. Makes it very hard to have slaves if you can't threaten your slaves. And there's an important principle going on with this. In fact, uh, just, just kind of this idea of, of this sneaky, subversive sort of thing that he's doing. Say the word subversive. Yeah, it means I don't confront you personally, I just undermine you. And if you've ever been a boss and had an employee that undermines you, it's very effective, okay? And very frustrating if you're in the power situation. And so um, with this idea, he's taking away what eventually will lead to a radical change uh, in in society. So here's what we know. Here's kind of sum this up. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ did much to improve the lives of women, children, and slaves. Not instantly in that moment, but again, I've I've told you this before. If you look at a map of the world, and you look at those places that where Christianity has had the most influence, kind of Europe and United States and the Western world, those sorts of things, and you overlay a map of where people have the most freedom in life, those two match up really, really good. And the reason for that is this. Because Paul began to undermine the fact that women were property. He began to undermine the idea that children were property. He began to undermine the idea that slaves could be treated like dirt. And as that began to live out in the culture, more and more as a culture became more and more influenced by Christianity, it became more and more like God had intended for the kingdom. And so this is one of the coolest things that I think about this. When people tell me that Paul supported slavery, I'm like, no, he didn't. Paul was anti-women. No, he wasn't. Just because he didn't make a big confrontational thing doesn't mean he was for it. What he did was something much smarter. He undermined the whole thing. So in God's kingdom, nobody gets to lord it over anybody. (laughs) In God's kingdom, nobody gets to lord it over anybody. Yes, (laughs) you know, that's good news for us, that God has created us to be followers of him, that we are equal in his sight uh, through all that that he has done. And, And here's the deal. It is so tempting to lord it over people. 
don't look at me like that. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have said, I told you so? Oh, guilt everywhere all across the sanctuary this morning. Yeah, because it feels so good in that moment to lord it over them, you know? It's such a... And yet God says, nope, that's not the way it works. Going back to the very beginning of this thing, mutual submission. Love one another through the process. We have one Lord and one King. There is one hierarchy in our community, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Say that. Jesus is Lord. Yes. Uh, And we follow him in all things. So, Paul makes clear that mutual submission is a foundational principle of, of, of the uh, foundational kingdom principle. And this has been this whole passage. He's just said this over and over and in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of situations uh, together. And so here's what I really want you to get. That's this. And if our musicians would come, the kingdom of God is a subversive movement. The kingdom of God is a subversive movement. We have never won through politics. In fact, every time you mix politics in the church, the church always loses. But we have changed the world by being subversive, by treating our spouses differently than the rest of the world, by treating our children differently than the rest of the world, by treating those that are employees differently than the rest of the world by living differently in the world, by living by the principles of the kingdom, we began to pull the culture more and more and more towards the way God would have it to be. calls us to be subversives. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a subversive. Yes, that's the way we are to live out the kingdom in the world around us, to live by kingdom values, not by the values of the world. Amen? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing a really great song about how deep the Father's love is for us, because this whole thing is based on that. When we fell, he loved us too much to leave us alone, and so he came, and he redeemed us, and he sent us out to spread the message, not just with our words, but with our lives, amen, and how we live in the world. Father God, thank you for the good words from Paul, Lord. We, we are so thankful, Lord, that we live in a culture where much of that has has moved in the right direction. And yet, Father, sometimes, sometimes the temptation is to not live that way. And so I pray, Father, that you'd make this a church filled with subversives, not subversive to the government, Father, that we might live like you would have us to live, that the world, when they see us, will recognize the difference, Father. We are reminded that you said the world would know us by our love. And we ask that you'd make that true in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.